Welcome to a brand new episode of the Harun Rabbani podcast and I'm going to share with you an interview that I did with Elaine Godley on her Perfect Health and Bright Business Minds podcast. Enjoy. This is all about type 2 diabetes and reversing it. I'm delighted to welcome today Harun Rabbani who is a diabetes specialist and a retreat leader. Welcome Harun. Thank you very much for having me on uh, Elaine. It's great to see you. So we are talking about diabetes in this particular podcast. So what got you interested in the topic to start with? Well, diabetes, I have to say the whole health arena, healing therapies was not actually my chosen pathway. It kind of like threw itself in front of me. And, um, but, you know, being someone who's worked with NG, played with NG since a kid, martial artists, Kung Fu and everything, and then ended in the medical field, uh, selling medical equipment actually for nearly a decade so I was very much into my health and fitness but then when I saw my parents start taking medications I didn't realize it was diabetes I asked them what is it that you're taking for when I saw that I was like alarmed this is quite a few years back now but then when I saw the medications pile up more and more there's like medication for allergy medication for cholesterol so many different medications. I thought, oh my God, I think they're sustaining the whole pharmaceutical industry by themselves, both my parents. And of course, having done so much of the research after that about the genetics and the myths around it, and that's very important things to understand the myths. Looking at that, I thought, oh my goodness, um, this actually can be reversed. So I worked with them and helped them reverse it. But at the same time, I discovered I was actually myself had all the symptoms of pre-diabetes. So I had to work on me. And again, it was guinea pigging myself, my family experimenting. And and then um, then later on, there's a friend of mine who's like morbidly, you know, I'm not having good. He was actually technically morbidly obese, 26 stone. I don't know what that's seen kilograms. That's five foot six. And I looked at it and I thought, I can't let my friend die like this. I mean, he's got so he's only marginally older than me. So I took him out to one of my retreats. Actually, I made it one-to-one retreat just for him. We kept it nice and easy. We weren't focusing on the weight. We were focusing on the causes. And this is where people miss out on. They focus on the symptoms. I said to him, don't even bother measuring your weight. He did. Never mind. But in the space of nine days, he lost a pound a day without starving himself, without going into any fancy diet, without any medication. And he continued that for two months. In two months, he lost 60 pounds in weight. I mean, still, you know, that's a lot for anybody, but there's a long way to go. So that really, what you know, that, that made me think. I realized that a lot of people with diabetes, a lot of them are obese, not all of them, a lot of them are obese. And there's certain things about diabetes that, number one is most the one that stands out for me is the level of shame they feel that they've let themselves go. And actually, it's a biological thing. We can talk about that later on. So that's how I got started. Family, friends, myself. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should help more people out. You mentioned myths around diabetes. So yeah. What What are the, the myths that you want to bust? Myth, Myth busting, if we can say correctly. <laughs> Myth busting. Uh, five, five core myths that really stand out and this this is really un- important to understand number one myth is people assume diabetes is all about the sugar and all about the insulin and in truth they're important but they're not the important most important things for everybody so 
I use, I've worked with a uh, scientist by the name of Professor Konstantin Korotkov and he's developed technologies to measure the energy input, output, the energy fields of every single organ, every single system in the body. And so all my clients, I've put them before, during and after. Um, I analyze their energy bodies, I, the organs and so on. Here's what I found. You would assume that if someone's got type 2 diabetes, that the pancreas would be highlighted or maybe the kidneys. Actually, one of my clients turned out that it was his prostate which was the big issue. And so when we started addressing that issue, the diabetes started reversing. Why would you? Why would that happen? Well, to explain very simply, we have a certain amount of energy to play with for our body on a day-by-day -day basis. That energy will go to where it's needed the most. So you might have diabetes, but if you've got a prostate issue and it's worse than your pancreatic issue, your body, your brain is going to send these emergency vehicles to the prostate to make it better. So it's not always about just insulin and sugars. Uh, the second one is, and this is a very big one because I'm, I'm divorced, but it happened about 25, 20 years ago, I think. Yeah, 20 years ago this year, I got divorced. But my, my father-in-law, he had diabetes. And as soon as he got diagnosed with it, he stopped work. For 26 years, he did not work. And yes, diabetes actually was what killed him in the end. But when a doctor, and I'm not having a go at doctors, I'm surrounded by doctors, I work with doctors, and you know, well, doctors work for me. And what I've found is this, that there's this doom mindset of, if you've been diagnosed with diabetes, you've got it for life. And that means you have to manage the diabetes with medication. In fact, a client recently came to me, and um, an existing client, and, and I'll explain about him a bit without going into detail, but he came to me and he said he's, he, sh he was shocked by his doctor because his doctor told him, right, your blood sugar's gone up so much, you need to be in insulin and metformin, the type 2 diabetes drug, for the rest of your life. He's only in his 50s. What if he lives to 100? So it's a very good business for one particular industry but it is very disempowering because there are, of course, with all medication, it has side effects. So diabetes, proven by other scientists, proven certainly by myself, diabetes can be reversed naturally using natural methods without resorting to drugs. We're not saying people should come off their drugs straight away. But what I found with all my clients, including my own family, including myself, the drugs get less and less to the point that it's not about managing diabetes, but it's about managing a healthy lifestyle as opposed to focusing on firefighting. So that's the second myth. The third one, and this is an important one because two part to this myth, which is if you've got type 2 diabetes, there are complications that may occur. Big ones are losing your limbs, like particularly your feet. So what will happen is you develop something called diabetic neuropathy, death of the nerve cells, basically, at the end of your feet. And your arteries start, you know, getting weaker because no blood's going there. That gets infected and eventually you start losing your toe, your limbs. In fact, in the UK alone, I'm trying to remember the figure now, I only wrote about it the other day. We have about 72 amputations every single week in England and Wales purely for that condition every single week. Now, that complication is real, very real. Blindness, 
is very real as a result of type 2 diabetes. There are lots of other complications, by the way. However, they are preventable. And they can, it's very difficult to cure it, of course, after the event. You know, if you have an amputation, you can't grow your limbs back. So you must, you must, must, must do everything in your power to prevent it. And it's actually not as difficult as people think it is. It's actually not so difficult. Number four, we've got two other myths, four and five. Number four is there's a lot of focus, and you see this on all over social media, that the cause of diabetes is insulin resistance. And for sure, insulin resistance is a big cause. But there are four other causes that hardly anybody ever talks about. So you've got insulin resistance, basically means your cells are refusing to accept the insulin. It's like, you know, it's like going to a house party, right? And uh, there's too many people constantly coming. You know, you're going to be turned out, turned out, turned away at the door. And that's what cells are saying. You know what? Enough's enough. I don't believe you. Insulin residual. So that's a big issue, of course. That means you've got blood. Now, blood sugar, by the way, you might as well call it poison. Why? Because you got we everybody, you know, if you're a vampire or something, you suck someone's blood out of their neck or wherever, you'll only get five liters of blood. Only five liters. In that five liters, guess how much sugar there is? Five milligrams. That's a teaspoon. One teaspoon of sugar in the entirety of your blood system, you know, your entirety of all your arteries and veins and so on. So it's important to understand that having too much blood sugar damages your arteries your nerves your organs and so on so insulin resistance is one but this the other one that people don't well there's four people don't talk about one is chronic inflammation chronic inflammation is a common denominator common theme for all chronic diseases in other, inflammation happens when you know, if someone if you bump your head on the on a cupboard or something um you're going to get a bruise that's inflammation but chronic is when you have it internally. You don't see it. Oh my goodness, you feel it because it's called chronic pain. It might be lower back, it might be knees, it might be joints, other joints and so on. So chronic inflammation, it's a precursor to, you think about any other chronic disease, including cancer, including Alzheimer's, including dementia. So chronic inflammation is important. And by the way, insulin resistance is way serious than people also think because it's the precursor to dementia and Alzheimer's. By the time you get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, dementia, prostate cancer, it's too late. If you got Alzheimer's, in essence, your brain is crumpled up. You're not going to uncrumple it. It's not going to happen. So it's too late. This is why prevention is absolutely essential. So chronic inflammation that comes from the food we eat. It comes from, it actually comes from stress as well. It comes from stuff like dairy products. So I'm not saying you should become a vegan or whatever, but you, you know, 80% of people are uh, lactose intolerant. You shouldn't be drinking milk or cheese, eating cheese and so on. So the next one is oxidative stress. So you know when you get a nail and you chuck it in a jar of water, it will rust. That's oxidation. In essence, we have oxidation taking place in our body all the time, which creates free radicals. However, we have antioxidants to fight them. But if you're eating foods which are giving you more and more oxidative stress, or if you're in an environment, you know, uh, like say, for example, you live in a beautiful location where your environment is really, really healthy for you. But if you're living in a big city with lots of pollution, you are going to get a lot of oxidation. 
and a lot of oxidative stress. So it comes from food, it comes from the environment and so much more. So people don't talk about that. And that has a direct impact on your diabetes. And the fifth one, which is just imagine someone who's 80% of people who are diabetic are obese, they're overweight. So there's a hormone within the fat cells which gets sent to the brain, which tells your brain, hey, I'm no longer hungry, I'm full. It's a satiation hormone, it's called leptin. But of course, if you're going to bombard your brain with leptin because you've got lots of fat cells, the brain's going to say, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you. So this is why so many people will eat food, fill themselves up, and then still feel hungry within two, three minutes, within five minutes. And a lot of people are shaming them. They're shaming themselves and they got the whole fat shaming business. Problem is, it doesn't work. Shaming does not work other than make that person feel really horrible about themselves. And so, and now there is willpower. You cannot will yourself out of that situation. So willpower, it's like saying, come on, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat. It's not going to work. Your brain, you're telling your brain, your conscious brain to tell yourself, I'm not going to eat. But your subconscious brain, your subconscious part of it, which is 95%, it's saying, you're hungry. Who's going to win that battle? Your brain's nagging you. You're hungry, subconsciously, of course. So it's not about willpower. It's about discipline. We need to learn to discipline ourselves in the context of having rituals, having um, behaviors that we stick to. So, for example, first thing in the morning, most people have this ritual of brushing their teeth. When you first did it, when you were little, it may have been fun or it may have been horrible, but it was a ritual that you developed over time. So if you've got type 2 diabetes and you want to shift things, you need to keep in mind that rituals are absolutely essential. I think that was the fourth and the fifth one, which is for me the real big one. It's chronic stress. How do I know that? Well, we've been testing, we've been measuring it, and obviously there's a lot of scientific research on it. So, for example, one of my clients, he's eating well. He's doing 10,000 steps a day. He's working his normal job. He's doing everything right on paper to maintain or reverse type 2 diabetes, but his blood sugar goes through the roof. The only common denominator between all of that was the project he's working on, doing the same work, but he's working 12, 14 hours. His stress is going through the roof. That absolutely skyrocketed it, his uh, blood sugar levels. So, but chronic stress. We get so used to stress. Now, we're talking about there's two different types of stress, eustress and distress. We're talking about distress. He's doing a job that he's good at, but he's not allowing himself to relax. Now, a lot of people think, well, we live in a chronic, stressful world. Yes, we do. You've got to learn how to manage it. So they're the five key myths. However, back, back to chronic stress, what drives chronic stress? So Part of what you do, for sure, is critical. If you have a certain personality type and you are operating against that personality type, you are causing untold chronic stress. And if you've got type 2 diabetes, that is bad news. It's not going to help you at all. Most of everything that we do, how we think, how we feel, how we behave, how we react, are driven by not just 
the five causes of type 2 diabetes, but what caused the causes? And it goes back to childhood trauma. So I've, I've covered so much in very little time. I, I, you know, I, I, can go, I can talk about for hours, by the way. Please ask away any question you have about anything I've just said about the five myths. That was really wonderful. It's the first time I've heard it put so succinctly. So thank you, Harun. That's, that was You're brilliant. These myths, and I love what you just said about what causes the causes. And yes. There's all this top line stuff. That, oh, you know, sugar and, 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 you know, well, it used to be called sugar diabetes. I remember years yes. ago um, when I was probably, I, was, I don't know, eight or ten or something, there was a whisper around the family that Uncle Reg got diagnosed with oh, sugar diabetes. And it was a shame and awful. Nobody really knew what it was, but we whispered because, we, you know, it, it was thought to be bad. So now nearly everybody knows somebody that's got diabetes. So I think dropping the sugar hasn't helped because it doesn't associate it. So it's not natural. People go, well, how have I got that then? No. And, and they, they're not educated. They're not told how they've got it. Uh, but it's just like you said, have a pill. You know, the problem is, and, and this is really a heavy duty education program we need to get out to people is this. So in the UK, there's about 4 million people with type 2 diabetes. One million, these are the ones who have been diagnosed. One million people haven't even been diagnosed. Now, technically, type 2 diabetes starts maybe several years because before you have diabetes, you have pre diabetes. So you're kind of you're getting sugar spikes, but you're on the borderline. So you've got the symptoms. But insulin resistance, for example, you can have that for 10, 5, 10 years. However, if you look at the cause of the causes, I contend, I don't think anyone else is saying it, I'm saying it because I've just worked with too many people not to know otherwise. Diabetes starts when you're young, before the sugars. It starts from this, the, a person with type 2 diabetes, you've got to think what is going on in their mind. And I've worked with enough to go deep enough and ask these questions. And here's what I've found, that they operate from a world where they, just imagine this psychologically, they've got all the loving in the world, you know, from their parents, hopefully, um, when they're very young. And the loving's gone. And so they're seeking out loving. Translate that into the sweetness of life is gone. They're looking out for sweetness, which literally is literal sweetness. However, the conscious level of consciousness is this. Someone with type 2 diabetes usually operates from the perspective of a worldview of the world is a disappointing place. I wish it could be better. It's a disappointing place. That's a world. So they will look for disappointments. It's like, you know, it's a reticular activating system. When you focus on something, it's like buying a car. You know, it's like today I've got an Audi and um, all of a sudden I've noticed all the Audis are on the road. It's a reticular activating system. So if, if you're seeing the world as disappointing, you will find disappointment. And so these people seek out they seek out things that will remove the disappointment. So they end up developing strong sense of lusting after things. And lust might be after physical things. It might be food. It might be people, relationships. So there's a strong sense of lust. And so when you have a strong sense of lust, of course, there's always, it's like you're missing something. That something's missing from you. You're feeling empty. And so what do you do? You develop cravings. So it's not just sugar cravings. It could be sweetness cravings it could be cravings for um cheesies dairies whatever it is but you develop cravings that's slightly lower level which is the majority but then there's one emotion i found across the board 
for people who are saying, you know what, enough's enough, I need to do something. They're driven by anger. There's so much anger. I've looked at all my clients across the board and I thought, what's the one common emotion that they express from their childhood that is bothering them to this day? Anger and rage. So now their worldview is the world, it's like, you know, Tupac, it's me against the world, mama. In other words, the world is antagonizing them. So there's a bit of hatred towards, and it's not because they're horrible people, I'll come back to that in a moment. There's a sense of hatred and anger about their situation, about life. But here's what I've also found. A lot of them are highly empathic beings, highly empathic people, and they give of themselves more than they are willing to receive. So with my uh, technology that I use, we can look at the psychological breakdowns of their, where the energy is going through. And we find that the heart center, the heart chakra, is more about focusing heart on everybody else and less on themselves. So what I've also found is they become martyrs. So in other words, I'm going to do everything for you. doesn't matter if I die. Oh my goodness, how many people do we know who are like that? You'll see that they're probably overweight or they're unhealthy and they give of themselves so much that they neglect their own self. So to give somebody like that a pill and think it's going to go away is absolutely meaningless. It'll only sustain what they've got and uh, long-term actually damage their body. And so it's so critical, and I love that what you do, true well-being is looking at someone's health and wellness from the perspective of the psychological stuff going on, which is where your work comes in, the childhood trauma that I work that I do, psychological aspect. You've got the physiological aspect. Are they exercising? What about their body? Where's the energy being used? Their nutrition, sleep cycle, that's critical. Um, spiritual aspects, you know, there are some people, the big issue is they're spiritually totally misaligned from who they internally believe who they are, are to be. And as soon as they get alignment, things start shifting. So it's like I said, it's a big education program. And I really hope your listeners have a clue what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Again, masterfully presented. That was that was excellent. Um I understood every word of that, but I'm sure there are people out there thinking, what the hell are you talking about? What's what's all what's all this about? Um I, I would kind of sum it a lot of it up as mindset. Um if you if you uh, have been given a diagnosis from medics and you haven't got a strong mindset to challenge you just go along with it and then yeah. as you say you get one tablet then another then another and people come to me sometimes they're having seven nine lots of medication and then they're saying that their doctor can't find what's wrong with them and it's because all of the medication has side effects and the doctors do darn well know what's wrong with them but of course they're beholden to the drug companies um to find another drug that gives deals with the sim you know the symptoms presented by the pre and it goes on and on and it, it's heartbreaking because people just don't know that that's what's happening to them well i mean the thing is if you go to a doctor general physician uh, gp or a phys just a physician general practitioner I meant, um, if you go to one of them then all the clients i speak to they say they get five to ten minutes with them do you know how much time I spend with my clients before I even say anything? Yeah. Well, I ask questions, of course. Yeah. I'll spend two hours, because well, part of my background, amongst other things, is functional medicine. Mm -hmm. Two hours just looking at their entire history. Yeah. 
of their physical um, activities, their medical history, their genetic history. We look at that. And then on top of that, we spend another um, hour and a half, two hours looking at their energy matrix. And then one of my team, she actually looks at their nutrition deficiencies. So they got like, you know, first few sessions is purely analyzing. So we can then become laser focused and say, ah, these are the nutrients missing. This is the organ or the system we need to focus on. So because otherwise, as you can imagine, you've got so many things to work on. How the heck are you going to work on the right thing? So in truth, when you ask enough questions and you really geek out, do a Columbo on everybody, then you're able to then say, okay, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to do X, Y, Z exercise or meditation or this particular practice. Just continue doing that 5, 10 minutes, 20 minutes every day. We'll start off there. And then you hold their hand and you challenge them. Because remember, you'll know this um, and any other health practitioner watching. Somebody can come to you who is very wealthy. All my clients are business owners uh, or leaders or scientists or engineers. They're top of their game. And they invested, heavily invested in the work they do. Because I, my program is at least six months long. When they come to me, they take an entrepreneur. He or she might be super wealthy. They've done all the right things. And then when you ask them, when you ask them, why do you deserve to be a successful entrepreneur? They will give you so many reasons. You, it's, you'll have trouble trying to stop them talking. But then you ask them, why do you deserve a healthy body? They struggle. And because they struggle, they already it already tells me, I mean, I don't even need to ask questions anymore. It already tells me that they have low self-worth pertaining to their physiological being or their mental health. And so there's a bit of a challenge, which is to get them. And this is why it's important not just to tell them what to do, not just to hold their hand, but actually hold them to account. Because we're, we've been in the health field long enough to be able to read people's BS meters. And unfortunately, people will make excuses to avoid and it, it's a difficult task. It's not easy. You know, it's like I've got people who are spending tens of thousands and then they turn around and may still make excuses. And I'm like, you've spent all the you've paid me up front. Why aren't you doing it? So and that's because you've got to hold their hand. You've got to hold, nudge them, remind them. Um, and so transformation, if somebody is in their 40s or the 50s or 60s, just think, let's say 40s, they spent about 40 years getting to that type 2 diabetes. No magic pill is going to take it away. There's no cure for it. But you can reverse the condition, which means change it. The lifestyle that got you there, which you developed over a lifetime, takes months, maybe up to a year to shift. But you can shift certainly between six and nine, nine months. Shift enough habits. It takes 66 days to form new habits. And you can only do one or two at a time. Within six months to about 12 months, you can shift your lifestyle so dramatically that you will never, ever, ever go back to the the times you were like before. This is why diets don't work. What does what is diet? A diet is have something for twenty one days, which is total. You know what I mean? Uh, twenty one days, and you'll be fine. Well, most people who go on to diets will go into a twenty one thirty day juicing diet, water diet, whatever it is. And then go back to eating their normal food. Mm -hmm. So they've got all this wonderful self-esteem. Hooray, I've lost weight. And then, oh my God, I've got it back. I've tried it. It doesn't work. 
oh, nothing works for me. And so I think also within the health field, there's too many of us, well, too many out there, I don't include myself, who are trying to give people the quick fix. I've done one-to-one, one-off sessions. I don't do one-off sessions. I've done retreats, like short retreats. And that's it. now, you know what? You want to change your lifestyle. You need to be fully invested in the time and the commitment to yourself to change it. So yes, type 2 diabetes is totally reversible. But it means having the desire, having plenty of reasons why your family deserve you, why your uh, children, your grandchildren deserve your legacy, meaning you're still alive, that legacy, and you're still playing with them, why your business deserves you, why your spiritual path deserves you. You have to have so many reasons, and that way you're not going to make so many excuses to change. Mm. Again, spot on. And the why is so important for for everybody, no matter what condition they've got, or maybe they they feel super healthy. Even people that feel super healthy, I guarantee there's something wrong with them. Uh, some years ago, I used to run cardiovascular health clinics, and um, I had a, a, a spate of uh, testing people who were uh, fitness trainers, PTs, and they were the worst because they were running or jumping or whatever sport they were doing. Um, and yet they were necking cokes and eating pizzas and goodness knows what. And their arterial system was really struggling. So they were looking good on the outside, but in the inside they were rotting. And Absolutely. when they saw the, the, the tests, so I applaud that you're, you're also doing the tests. Tell us a bit about the tests, Harun. Well, we, we use a equipment called the BioWell device, which basically measures the electrophotonic, electro meaning electromagnetic photonic, photons, light, emissions, from your organs so you got all your meridian points and uh, you got the emissions coming through your fingers and your feet well fingers are easier to measure and it's interesting because the equipment never lies it's been tested there have been thousands of case studies done across the world by professor constantine karakov his team other practitioners so the results are out there and so it's mathematically uh, they work out what's going on so they use computational models and so here's what happens you mentioned about pts so one of my clients recently earlier this year actually she was doing she's in her 60s doing getting trained by a pt doing all the physical exercises in the gym i then got her to come to my clinic and got her to do a squat she was struggling to even bend properly she had a knee problem and and yet she was doing all this cardiovascular and weights and so on and so we, when we measured what was going on, it looked her sympathetic nervous system, for people who don't know what that is, that's your activating system, your fight or flight, it was like it was on steroids. And that parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest, your relaxation system, was depleted. And some of her organs are hyper-performing. I don't say this to clients, but let's put it this way. They, they were dying. And other organs, other systems are hyper performing so the first thing i said to her is do not go to the gym i i I love my gym do not go to the gym the one thing you need to do is learn to relax because you're after because i don't just when i do an analysis i don't just do one reading i do several readings including one that will measure how quickly someone recovers from stress so i'll give them some fictitious stress meaning get them to exercise and it will show up in the body see a lot of people think There's a mind-body connection. There isn't. There is no mind-body connection. The mind and the body are one. And so if your physical body is anxious, 
your mental body will be anxious. If your mental body is anxious, your physical is going to respond accordingly. It's not a connection. It's happening in real time together. And so we test how they respond to stress and the readings weren't looking good. And then we tested how um, how long it takes, what happens after eight or 10 minutes of relaxation to her. And she wasn't recovering quickly. That's initially. Her psychological system was all over the place. In this particular case, this person got so much into them, they're operating in the field of narcissistic behavior, psychologically, or showing up in the equipment. And so over a period of months, we started getting alignment by stopping things that were not serving her and encouraging her to do the practices that were serving her. So we, d we didn't even talk about food. A lot of people associate type 2 diabetes. It's all about the sugar. Yes, sugar does play a role. But there's so much more going on. And this is why your traditional conventional doctor can't tell you. They're, they're on time pressure. They're, they're, you know, they've got a quota to fill. You know, um, And that's why you'll only get five, ten minutes with them. Yeah, I, I have um, a client who is a, a private, highly strict doctor, and they came out of uh, the uh, health system because they said this. They, they were given uh, six to eight minutes, and they said that if somebody presents with five or six symptoms, they have to identify in that time which is the thing that's going to kill them and give them a pill for it. That's that's how it is like shooting a gun out, you know, a pepper gun thing, whatever it's called. Um, so it's not their fault. They're not trained to to look at diet, nutrition, lifestyle, no. mind, body, all that stuff. They're not trained that way. They're only trained to to do the drug thing. So it's not their fault. And they've um, you know they've gone in. And I, I know so many people who started medical school but then bombed out because they yeah. weren't happy. It was very clear from day one uh, what the agenda is. Well, I, I I was supposed to go to medical school as well, but at the time um, when I was eighteen, my grandmother died. She'd had um, throat um, laryngeal cancer for years and years and I just lost hope but I tried to I just said that's it I don't go anywhere near medicine of course the first so I studied economics and the first job I got was working in a medical devices company working with the leading doctors in the world on endoscopy so I ended up so regardless of which way I turn I end up in the health field anyway so uh, um, and and I think you know you're right we can't blame the doctors they can only operate from where they operate and to be honest medicine as we all know and science has been totally politicized it's been totally taken over like a virus by politicians for their nefarious uh, intentions and so you know my dream would be and i'm sure you'd probably agree and concur my dream is there's a there comes a day where people only turn to pharmaceuticals for acute medication. So, for example, if you break your leg, you don't want Reiki in that moment in time, you need probably morphine. So that it has a time and place. My son's damaged his shoulder. Um, his shoulder keeps popping out, um, his uh, upper arm. So he's got shoulder joint problems. He was in, the other day, he went to jujitsu and he damaged it again, and he had to go to an A&E. That is important. It's not that we are against the medical system it's just that the medical system is being politicized and used as a um, political ball as far as i can remember going back all the way down back to the 80s so there will be a day where people will start taking responsibility for your own health you cannot rely on someone else to take it away from you so neither you elaine nor me we can't take away diseases but we can cre help create the conditions 
for people to take responsibility. And that's the number one thing. You got to take ownership and say, okay, this is the process I'm going through. It's not my outcome. Diabetes is not an outcome. It's not the end result. It's a process. We know it's a process because there's lots more to come if you don't deal with it. It's a process waking you up. It's your body saying, hey, pay attention. You have not been listening to what's going on. And if you truly listen to your diabetes, to your body, you'll find it's not just the food. It's the way you think and behave mindset you mentioned as a result of traumas. And here's what I found with every client, that when they go back to the childhood traumas, the very thing that traumatized them, they realize, oh my goodness, this is, this is actually a gift. And so they turn that around, with my help, turn it around, and then they either, most of them change their career, because they're in the wrong job, right? Most of them change their career. We're talking about scientists and et cetera. Or they change the way their business is going and had their role within their career. Everybody changes every aspect of their life. So your diabetes is a wake-up call that you need to pay attention to your essence, your authentic nature. Stop being someone you're not. That's what your diabetes is telling you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I, I identify through the disbehavioral profiling. I can tell when somebody is out of alignment with who they are and I can predict the likelihood of them being ill and what they're ill with and if they're at risk of burnout. So much I can tell just by just by that. So that's my kind of opening thing these days. Brilliant. Um, but it is it's like you say, it's a holistic approach. There's so much to it. It's not just one thing or another. I and mean, we have all these myths around m- m- uh, the uh, social media, televisions and papers and, and whatever all con- you know concur together. And it's all it's monetized. You say politicize its uh, health, but it's been monetized to the nth degree. Where it's it's not about health and well being. Um, and I don't think it ever has been um, in in the modern world. And where also the modern world has only been around about one hundred and fifty years with the yeah. medicines that we know today. All Correct. of the stuff that we talk about, it's been around for for centuries. Well, well, the mindset about health is all about the fight. It's all about survival and. So just think about it. It was war on drugs in the 80s. Can you remember that? What happened to that then? And then war on terror, made up stuff. And fight cancer. You know what? Cancer, why the heck are you fighting cancer? I tell people but, that all the time. Yeah, I, I, stop I, I, fighting. And, and the other day I saw, I don't, was it, I don't watch television, so I can't say it was a television. No, it's a YouTube no. ad. Di, di, I don't even have one. Diet. Diabetes UK, great organization. They part of their strap line now is fighting diabetes. I'm like, no, oh my no. god. And so what do you fight it with? It's like if the only tool you have is a hammer, drugs, or surgery, if only the only tool you have is a hammer, everything that you see is gonna look like a nail. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. Yeah. And again, all the charities, um, I will not give money now to to big charities because we know the cure for diabetes. We know the cure for cancer. We know that um, we know what to do. But the charities have have uh, conned people. Into, I mean, I've, I've done it myself. I've walked a marathon. I've I've raised money left, right and centre for different things before I woke up and realised, yeah. hey, hold on a minute. All these people are earning a fortune their marketing budget alone, you know, could feed feed the world from poverty, sort of thing, you know. Before before I went into medical devices sales, a friend of mine back back in the nineties, he went into pharmaceutical sales. Now I didn't 
you know, I don't know how he ended up in that because he didn't have a pharmaceutical background. He had an MBA and he ended up in that. And he used to tell me, so I was still at uni, he used to tell me what they would do. So they would take out doctors to lavish lunches mm-hmm. and dinners and fly them to um, Spain yeah. and Cyprus, etc., for conferences, which is really a mock-up holiday. You know, but on paper, they need to turn up to lectures kind of thing. Um, coming from a country, I was born in Bangladesh, which was East Pakistan at the time. Coming from that country, I thought, hold on, it's called bribery. And I remember when I was selling medical equipment. Now, the thing with equipment, what I love about it is this. Use it, have a go. You like it, you buy it. You don't like it, it's all right, not a problem. Don't buy it. With the pharmaceutical industry, it's very much based on trust or very much about loyalty. Hey, doctor, will you prescribe my medication? So there was a lot of, I'll just say as it is, it's called bribery. Mm -hmm. If politicians did that, and they do, by the way, it's called bribery, right? It's Mm -hmm. corruption. And so I remember going to a hospital in Halifax General and there was a GP, and I used to sell to endoscopists and uh, physicians and surgeons, but very rarely did I deal with GPs. And there's this one GP who wanted to use this particular kit I sold. And his, uh, I'd have a meeting with him, and then he'd try it out in operating theatres. And his uh, secretary said, Arun, you've got to take him to the best restaurant in Halifax, um, in that town, or Huddersfield, which is nearby, and then he'll be happy to meet you. And I said, no, thank you. Yeah. I don't do bribery. I, I just had no need to. And, and so the whole medical industry, unfortunately has been its ethics the hippocratic oath has been totally compromised by the way industry has treated it and you know what i would love for a day where you and i don't even have any work to do because simply because everyone's taken responsibility if we take just think about it over 60 percent of hospital stays in the uk is due to a chronic disease chronic disease meaning a lifestyle disease that was preventable and probably reversible. Just imagine that. 60% of the NHS, National Health Service budget, could be totally wiped out and and people will will still have excess to spare simply if people started looking after Mm -hmm. what goes in their mouth, what goes in their head, their physical actions. That's all it takes. I heard a, a story uh, told by Dr. Vernon Coleman yesterday, um, who was on the um, uh, column, column New, UK Column News, and um, he was being interviewed and he said that way, 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 way back, you know, 30, 40 years, whatever it was, um, there was a, he, he remembers a conversation about uh, somebody who was really chuffed with themselves because they'd managed to literally um, get rid of some process or something was introduced got rid of the waiting list for this particular doctor so you know the nhs w- was happy uh the people were happy because they got seen uh whatever i can't rem- remember the details and the doctor turned around and said um basically you're fired because you've just ruined my private practice i get patients because there's a waiting list people don't want to wait so therefore they hire a private doctor i.e me and now you've completely lost my. If there's no waiting list, I have no referral, no leads. It's so it's a years ago. It's a very lucrative career. If I mean, don't get me wrong, doctors are some of the hardest working people that I can think of, 
And I think it's like anything, isn't it? If you, like I said, if all you've been taught is to use a hammer, what has medicine become now? Medicine has become either you medicate them, drugs, or you cut it out, surgery. That, in essence, gen- obviously is a big generalization. It doesn't mean there's not wonderful medical breakthrough. I love the medical industry. It's just that it's been screwed over, good and proper. You know, um, it's just, it's so embarrassing to watch this. And the worst thing is, of course, not enough people are, enough people are hearing from people, from people like you and I to say that, hey, you can actually take care of yourself. You can yeah. take care of your health. You know, there's a very strong correlation between the drug sector and the food manufacturing sector. Yes. You know, one of the biggest poisons is processed foods. Yeah. Sugar is quite, you got an excess amount of sugar. Why do they need so much sugar? Because that food tastes skank. I don't know if that sounds right. It just, it's nasty stuff. It's nasty, nasty stuff. So they need to put a lot of sugar in. They need to put a lot of salt in to make it remotely acceptable uh, by your palate. And so people are eating that. But you know what? You end up sick. It's good because you're making somebody money. Mm. So, if if you want free health advice, number one, take care of your sleep. Get adequate sleep, sleep early. Number two, exercise. For some people, that might be just walking. You know, one of the best ways, if you've got type 2 diabetes, one of the best exercises you can do straight after you've eaten, and I do this, I have two main meals a day. As soon as you've eaten, go for a 10-minute walk, 15 minutes or half an hour walk. If you if it's freezing cold and it's chucking it down, go up and down the stairs for five, ten minutes. You've got your legs are your biggest muscles from your hip downwards, your legs are your biggest muscles, and it's gonna suck up all that blood sugar. That's the first thing. Also, when you're walking, you'll notice we naturally swing our arms, our shoulders. So your back, your arms, everything gets worked out. Don't go for a run, whatever you do. So go for a not even a brisk, just a moderate pace walk. Straight away, what you're going to find, and and I, by the way, I've tested all these things out on me. It's not like, oh my god, you know, you're just making, you've just read good books. No, for for what? Since the mid nineties, after every lunch, I would feel so drowsy. I'd I'd need to have a nap, and then in later years, like ten years ago, it got to the point where I'd have to sleep for one or two hours in the middle of the day, and I'm like, what is going on with me? I'm a martial arts former champion. I keep myself fit. What's going on? It's because I was pre-diabetic for all those years. You know, I, I just, you know, just missed it by a bit. So when I started this whole thing about going for a short walk, and I thought, ah, only old people do that. Guess what? You don't have to be old. When I started doing that, I didn't need to have midday, mid-afternoon naps. Just simple thing like that. So sleep well, exercise well, eat carbohydrates, veg- um, fibrous vegetables, Eat fats, meaning stuff like uh, fatty fish, stuff like um, butter, grass-fed butter is fine, not margarine, proteins. These are important, but when you, the even stuff like carbohydrates, go for the complex carbohydrates. If you do want to go for, again, lots of myths around this, I won't go into it. If you do go for rice, white rice, or baked potato or something, prepare it 24 hours in advance. 24 hours later, the glycemic load plummets. That means you can still have your rice and eat it. 
Sounds good, doesn't it? You can still have your potato and eat it without the big blood sugar spike. They've been tested again and again. So give it 24 hours for your rice or your pasta or whatever. Well, pasta will go off if you um, just cut down on pasta. And um, yeah, so you don't have to go any fancy diets. Practice intermittent fasting. You know, if you if you want to do that, I've got a cheat sheet. I don't know how I get that to your people, but practice intermittent fasting. It's very very simple, very easy. So just be mindful of what you're eating, what how much you're sleeping, exercise, and very importantly, manage your stress. Learn to become emotionally resilient. In other words, you know what? I can't help whether it's sunny or whether it's raining. I I really can't. My dad spent a lifetime watching news about in England, watching news about what's going on in Bangladesh. Of course, news is always bad news. Do you know how much impact he's had on the Bangladeshi community and environment by watching the news? Zero. Do you know how much impact it's had on his health? Massive. Because he's constantly in survival mode. Oh my God, the country of my birth is being ripped apart by these corrupt politicians. Well, yeah, well, you can't even vote there. So why are you worried? You're not even moving there. You don't even want to go and visit on holiday. But why are you stressing? Of course, I had to get him to stop watching television and eventually things shifted. So again, learn, be mindful about where you pay your take your attention to. Where attention goes, energy flows. If your attention is, oh my God, the world... You, you remember the story, the sky's falling down, the chicken goes running with the, because the acorns landed on his head. If the sky is constantly falling down, your world will fall apart. Start finding more positive, calmful, relaxing things to focus on. And you would see so much of your diabetes and certainly your stresses fall. Yeah, it's not difficult, is it? It's not rocket science. And definitely, I've I've not had a television for, I don't know, 25 years or so now. And I've not bought a newspaper in that time either. Um, So it's all doom, gloom, doom, gloom. But uh, there's people like you to help. So how do people get hold of you, Heron? Okay, so the best way, so my clients actually come for me uh, through referral, but the best way to get hold of me, if you want a copy of that cheat sheet, let me think. Um, at the time of recording, my website, my new website isn't up. So when you, it will be up in a couple of weeks. So just go into harunrabani.com, spelt H-A-R-U-N-N for November, Rabani, R-A-B-B-A-N-I.com. Or just follow me on YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash Rabani. And LinkedIn is the big one. If you're a business person, of course, if you're an engineer scientist, you'll probably find me there because I write loads of articles on there and post quite frequently on there. So you can communicate directly with me. Marvellous. Thank you so much for your time today. And I'm sure listeners will pick up um, loads of stuff um, to help them with their health and well-being and hopefully start taking charge and responsibility for their own health and well-being. Thank you, Harun. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And it's great to converse with you like this. Hey, listen, if you enjoy that podcast, then make sure you share it. Make sure you like, make sure you comment and please give us a review on Apple Music. Also, I wanted to say to you is, if you are interested in using one of the most powerful ways to reverse type 2 diabetes, it's called intermittent fasting. I have got the intermittent fasting challenge starting very soon. So make sure you visit my website, harunrabani.com, to find out more about the intermittent fasting challenge. And within three weeks, you will see a significant shift in your health. See you next time.